0: i'm jeff gibson
1: and i'm shanna paxton
0: and we are the, the movie, movie lovers, lovers. welcome Yay. and happy new year Woo-hoo. you are listening to the official podcast of the gibson review and every episode what we do is we jeff is this happy i <laughs> <laughs> hey it's a new year new beginning and we're wrapping up 2018 saying goodbye. So, this is going to be a lot of fun. A night Episode typically we talk about the week in review, which is all the stuff that we've been watching since the past episode. And then we have our main event, which is usually a main review or a main topic of discussion before moving on to Film Faves, which is our respective list of a dozen movies around a particular topic or marching back year by year through time that are our favorites. So, as I suggested earlier, this episode we are focusing on 2018, the year in review. So that will be our main event, and because of that, our film phase topic will be our favorite movies of the year. But first, before we dive into all that fun, let's catch you up with a few things we have been watching since our last episode. Shanna, why don't you start us off with a show you saw uh, the entire series of?
1: Yes, over two days, because cleaning up after Christmas, you need to have something. <laughs> okay. in the background. So, I got to watch Killing Eve, which is available on Hulu. It's stars Sandra Oh as Eve, Jodie Comer as Villanelle, and we even get Fiona Shaw, Ooh. which is quite exciting, I think. Eve is an MI5 agent and she's very bored she does a lot of desk work and you see her in the background exploring different serial killer profiles and things like that because that's where the exciting stuff is and then Villanelle is a psychopath assassin which you might think oh those go hand in hand it's not a good idea actually Hmm. so um we get to see them obsess over each other they're very interested in how each other works and it's kind of a fun little as they say on imdb i think it is uh, it's like a cat and mouse game Mm. and so they're trying to catch each other and it's just so odd and strange and fun and so freaking cool that we see women on the screen all the time throughout this crime show like, if you think about Criminal Minds, it's mostly men. There's, there's, there's a couple of really great women in it, but it's mostly men. You think about the CSIs, there's maybe one woman to three men ratio. And so, uh, and then if you want something more specific that influenced that genre for me, you've got Silence of the Lambs. So, you've just seen men and you've got Jodie Foster. Well, in this, you are mostly seeing women, and it's very exciting because you see. The female hero, you see the female villain, you see a woman managing the hero, so it's really, really cool.
0: Alright, very cool. And how many episodes is that?
1: Uh, I'm so glad you asked, because you will start this and you'll be like, please don't let it end, and there's only eight. Only eight? Only eight episodes, and again, Hulu.
0: So definitely worth the praise that it's beginning as one of the best shows of the year.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so great.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. And so that is Killing Eve once again on Hulu, you said? For the third time, yes. Excellent. Okay, cool. (laughs) All right. Well, then that is everything you saw on your own. Together, we've been watching a few things. Let's start with another TV show that we wrapped up, and that was Parks and Recreation. Now, to recap, for those who may not recall or new to the show, you had asked if I could show you Parks and Rec because... You had heard a radio interview, is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. With who? Well, I don't know his name, but it's Ron Swanson, and that's all that matters.
0: Ah, yes, Uh, Nick Offerman. (laughs) Yeah. Is his name. So once you heard that, you got curious, and so we've been watching for the past um, three, four months, I believe, uh, Parks and Rec, off and on, and we finally finished the series the past couple days. Shanna, what are your thoughts on the series and the series finale?
1: I love how each character throughout the series, they know who they are, Mm -hmm. and they're very true to themselves, so it's very strong characters. Mm -hmm. There's only one or two characters that take a little bit, like, take a season or two to figure themselves out, and then once they've got it, you know, they're golden, and I just think that that's really cool to see. I also love the couples that we get to follow throughout the show, and I love that they're healthy they're healthy couples there's no drama Mm. it's not a fucking soap opera there isn't going to be a cheating here or a oh but i don't know about my feelings for this person who's just come to the show you know so i really really like that as opposed to you know Grey's anatomy that's a fun show but i cannot stand when they break people up Mm. and then put them back together near the end of the running of the show and that's what this show did not do it didn't break a couple up that was perfectly good together and then put them back together it, they left it and they had them grow in a healthy way throughout the show and i really 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 appreciated that i also appreciated seeing the friendship that they had for each other hmm. that was very exciting and i feel like my favorite character was donna uh i really? love ron swanson yeah but i think he's in his own category so i'm just gonna put him there okay and, I really liked Donna. I thought that she was just such a fierce, strong, confident. There is no, I feel bad about myself for even a second mm. with her. And I think she's a great role model and a great friend.
0: Yeah, I would say that she's a great role model because she's, you know, she's, and she, this, she is not a model figure or anything. This is a, a full-figured, average-sized um, uh, woman. And she makes no apologies. It doesn't even get mentioned who she is, how she looks, anything at all. And interestingly enough, I don't think she would ever tolerate anybody making any comment in the slightest in her direction about her body or anything like that. She would take them down. And I think that that's fantastic. And she's all this, and has a full sex life, you know, um, a very, a very active sex life, and very Once strong confidence. She has confidence.
1: investments here yeah, and investments there. And she's
0: very successful financially she's too. She's
1: just really, really great. I want to yeah. be her friend and know how she got to where she is.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I think uh, you you bring up a really great point about that character. I think she's actually. A underappreciated character in terms of uh, how different and and uh, how ahead of the curve she is too as a character because you know gotta remember Parks and Rec ran from two thousand seven to twenty fourteen way before some of the the quote body shaming awareness and all sorts of other things about women and 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 how they look and everything has come to be a a thing so that's really awesome there's something else you said you're right they're all really well defined characters i'm glad that you appreciated each of the characters and you do seem to really like ron you meant you kind of put him in his own category but well
1: what's really funny is i think most of these characters are above the age of 30 Mm -hmm. maybe april and andy are a bit younger yeah and it shows and that's fine yeah but what i really appreciate is this is a show for like let's see what adults are really like you know (laughs) yes there's absolutely crazy madness in between but that's kind of life right and like they know who they are they strive for what they believe in and i just i really think it's a healthy show
0: yeah and and funny too
1: yeah uh, obviously do,
0: were you satisfied with the finale not to give specifics away but in general like were you pretty satisfied with it
1: i was very pleased with the format of the finale and mm-hmm. i i thought it was very sweet and i did get choked up twice yeah so that was good
0: for me it's one of those uh, shows that i get comfortable and i want to see the next thing you know that i know has happened you know and i'm, I'm always like oh yeah this thing but when it comes to the end, it's one of the, it's probably one of the best series finales. And I can say that because a really great series finale not only is satisfying, but also you don't want it to end. Yes. You know, so awesome. Any other thoughts you have on Parks and Rec?
1: No, I think everybody should watch it. And if need be, go ahead and multitask during season one. If it's too... Because I didn't like season one.
0: Nobody and, nobody does. It's so true.
1: Well, and uh, I don't know, maybe it had something to do with writer's strike happening during or mm-hmm. whatever. But like, multitask through season one and then enjoy season two, etc. Because it agree. is enjoyable.
0: Yeah, season one is really only like two hours in total because it's like six episodes out of 20 minutes each. So I think that's a good recommendation.
1: Hell, you can even vacuum season (laughs) that's that's the the level of multitask i'm talking
0: fair enough all right very cool so that's parks and rec you can find that on netflix as well as hulu as well too so So next uh we're moving to movies and we're gonna
1: talk about aquaman starring jason momoa hunky hotness
0: and amber heard hottie hottie
1: coming out of water Coming That's out of water as well. Exciting. Yeah, it's very <laughs> exciting. Yes, very exciting.
0: It also stars Nicole Kidman and Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, and Dolph Lundgren as well. So, basically, Aquaman needs to help Atlantis from a civil war underwater led by King Orm, his half-brother. There's a lot of kind of, like, quasi-Shakespearean... Uh, Chess piece type things going on, except like really cheesy and and hammy. Shanna, what did you think of this latest effort from DC and Warner Brothers?
1: First of all, I'm going to say, you know how people hate the word moist? I hate the word quasi. (laughs) I think it is the most irritating freaking word of the decade. Of the decade. Okay. And it, it's just it infuriates me to no end.
0: All right, because
1: well. it's irritating. It's like just the sound of it. Anyway, I thought this was <laughs> Apologies. this was not as good as Wonder Woman, but Mm-mm. it was it was fun. It's kind of like taking your kids to go see Batman a decade or two ago. Not the
0: you're talking about the '90s Batman yeah. or 1989 Batman. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Okay.
1: Don't you think? Doesn't it remind you of that?
0: Um, I would say it's closer to Batman Forever from okay, 1995. That one. That's the one I'm talking with about. The G- with the Riddler?
1: That's the one I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. to You know what? DC doesn't have to be the super destructive, dark Jack Snyder. Is it Jack Snyder? Zack. Zack Snyder. Every time. Mm-hmm. Aquaman can be fun and amazing. Yeah. And great for the mom's. And I guess the dads too, um, and great for the kids. Yeah. So I, I thought it was a fun experience at the theater, and I thought that the film wasn't bad. I thought that maybe it had one or two things that were like, oh, we're gonna go that way. And dialogue was bad. Yeah. At certain points. hmm But it was only for the villain, and so I felt like the villain got got the raw end of the deal when he could have, he could have just been a silent type. That would have been more intriguing than the dialogue we had to hear.
0: Now, to be clear, you're t- you're referring to the other villain, Black Manta, yes. not King Orm, correct? Yes. Okay. So, and Black Manta, for those who don't know, is actually uh, Aquaman's one of Arca- Aquaman's main villains from the comics. And he does feature in the film uh, in, in, I don't know, is, is it? Spoiler to say how he figures into the film.
1: He's there in the beginning and he's there at the end.
0: Okay, fair enough. You know, I, I I would say I would agree with you. This is a fun movie. It is not better than Wonder Woman. I don't even think it's better than Man of Steel. But it is better than most of the recent DC films. It is not a great film. It is a film with bad dialogue, with some questionable. Plotting or or story developments like there is a scene in early on in the film where the Queen of Atlantis is swept ashore, seemingly unconscious, and she is picked up by someone who finds her, and somehow she has a trident, but somehow even though she's unconscious when she's picked up, she's still holding on to this trident. It's like which you know little things like this, and then like you have sharks that are roaring in the sea. You know, seahorses that are winning, you know, giant seahorses. You know, this thing does not really hold, hold itself to logic, but it is fun. And I think it's carried primarily by the charisma of Jason Momoa. And I have to say, like, not enough credit is given to Amber Heard in this film. I really liked her in this film. I liked her character. It's a very powerful, strong, badass character, um, I
1: did enjoy her as well.
0: I, we got a glimpse of her in Justice League. And I remember thinking, I want to see more of that girl. And this film definitely does that. She's absolutely, completely satisfying in, in this uh, in this film. And Aquaman was a highlight of the Justice League film. You know, kind of like the comic relief, you know? And that kind of carries over in this film. He's a badass, but uh, he's kind of got this, like... California surfer attitude about him you know and and it's just like I want to go with him where he goes you know he's he is fun you know and and I feel I don't know if you feel this way but I feel this definitely shuts down any notion of Aquaman being a joke
1: well yeah and I don't even know how I don't even want to know I don't know how that was started and what fed it for these past few decades i don't want to know i'm not interested okay (laughs) but like having jason momoa Uh as aquaman is is certainly awesome yeah and i thoroughly enjoy how his character does have a love for uh, you know the surface of earth and yeah
0: the land basically yeah and and now he
1: seems to be developing his love for you know the water
0: hmm yeah awesome. uh, mm-hmm. yep absolutely
1: i actually really enjoyed the little bits of pollution that were
0: oh uh, the apparent. ecological themes yeah
1: What amber Heard's character had hidden a ship a vehicle and it was in containers that had fallen off of a cargo liner i
0: forgot uh, about that
1: and as she opened it to get her vehicle there was this poor fish that got trapped in one of those six-pack plastic ring things and it was just so at certain points it was obvious because you know she's in a she's got the vehicle in a container sure but then it would have these little moments on the sides where you know you would see a fish that's like entangled
0: yeah it's not subtle about it about that message but it's good that is you know you have a, a an underwater superhero this is probably one of the main things that should be addressed somehow in a, in his movie so that was good yeah i don't know i i'd give the film like a 5 out of 10 it's not great but it's uh, not terrible it's better than suicide squad and the others what do you think
1: yeah i'd say it's better than that not as good as wonder woman but better than those
0: yeah Right on. So that's Aquaman, which is available in theaters right now. Next, we saw
1: the favorite.
0: You're correct. We saw the favorite, the latest from Yorgos Lanthimos, who is also known for such films as Dog Tooth and The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. He has quickly risen during the course of the decade to be one of the decade's most defining direct... Well, not defining, but definitely most unique uh, and strongest voices of the decade. Shanna, you've seen the lobster. You've seen Killing of a Sacred Deer. What are your thoughts on Yorgos in general? And I know you were excited about the favorite. Did the favorite live up to your expectations?
1: I think so. I was not pleased, however, with the end, okay. but I enjoyed the rest of the film, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I, I think that's a, a win. I think I might like this one probably the most.
0: Out of his, of his films?
1: From what I've seen, yeah. I thought the costume design in this film was so precise it hurt my eyes. Like, I don't know how they did it, but they made everything look so beautifully uniform. Everybody was wearing the similar things. It was as if everybody living in this, this castle, it was one seamstress or one designer, and everybody got something cut from the same bits of material. So it was very interesting seeing that uniformity happening. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing looked the same, but you could tell, oh, she had more of that fabric, and that person has more of that fabric. And... There were these beautiful moments of, like, there's a slow motion shot where Mm. there's ducks racing around. Yeah, there's a duck race, yeah. the the men are all wearing wigs because that was the fashion. And because it's in slow motion, not only are these men moving up and down, but... The wigs are moving up and down and mm-hmm. have minds of their own. <laughs> and it's also the time where it's those big, puffy sleeves. Yeah, yeah. And so the sleeves are moving, and then the ducks are moving. And it's like, we're going slowly through these different things. And, and this is only and one sequence in the wearing, whole movie, to, yeah. to clarify. Yeah, and the men are also wearing makeup. So yeah. it's like, it's. it was just very interesting because... If you weren't poor, you mm-hmm. were opulent. You know, you were yeah. living in a very opulent setting. Sure. So if if you weren't a servant, you were rich. So right. It was just very not interesting. really
0: much of a middle class. I should step in and clarify. If you don't know, the favorite this takes place in early 18th century England when Queen Anne ruled, and it is about her and this conflict between her close friend Lady Sarah and Lady Sarah's cousin, Abigail, who arrives at the castle and is trying to gain Queen Anne's favor. And it's kind of like this conflict between Lady Anne and Abigail, who's going to win Queen Anne's favor. Well, uh, it's also
1: interesting to see what motivates them. Yeah. Because it's very, very different.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and I should also clarify it, stars. Uh, Olivia Colman as Queen Anne, Emma Stone as Abigail, and Rachel Weiss as Lady Sarah. Go ahead and uh, carry on with your thoughts of the film.
1: Well, I thoroughly enjoyed those three performances. Um, And and who plays Beast?
0: Oh, Nicholas Holt also stars. Nicholas
1: Holt was there. And again, this is another example of we're seeing a bunch of women with all the power. Because even though you've got the Queen who... Technically, has all the power. You've also got, you know, friend A, friend B, and they've both got power of manipulation happening. And so, it's very interesting seeing those different versions
0: mm-hmm. um, and how they handle it. it as well. I would say mm-hmm. is very different uh, between each of them.
1: Well, I, I think what I told you after watching this film. Look, I grew up with a lot of British history being taught in school, Mm. and it was always made out to be so proper and so high class and Mm -hmm. so this was the time to be alive. (laughs) So what I appreciate is in this film they show, oh, we just shit in the streets here, and that's Mm. what you fell into. And uh, I like that they talk about, they they show the very... (laughs) like unpleasant things of humanity in Mm. this film and certain things and not everything in it is unpleasant, but they show the unpleasantness of being a human and they show the pleasantness of being a human, pleasing part of being a human. So I appreciated that.
0: Hmm. So I came to this, I was hoping to get away with not watching a Yorgos Lanthimos film this year. And that's chiefly because I've seen his past, his previous three films I recognize the talent. Killing of a Sacred Deer was a huge chore for me. I think we talked about it in a previous episode. Yes,
1: we did. It was very painful for you.
0: It was very painful for me. I was like, I am on a Yorgos hiatus. But the praise of this film became so strong for awards consideration, I, it became necessary to see it. And honestly, I'm glad I did because this is this is far more, I feel, palatable and far less unpleasant than most of his films. I think if anybody's going to see a Yorgos film, this is probably the most approachable, you know, for for the wider audience, you know, not the art house audience. I think, yes, it is one of the better films of the year. I struggle to say it's the best film of the year, mostly because I struggle with some of Emma Stone's character's motivations. At what point does she become motivated towards power, uh, towards achieving power and such? You know, her, you, There is a complete difference between the character we are first introduced to and the character we leave at the end of the film. And so I kind of struggle with her character. I love Emma Stone, and this is one of the few times where she is actually not the best part of the film. Uh, I thought Olivia Colman and Rachel Weisz were very good in this film. And uh, probably the, the, the standouts of the film, really. I think most people struggle with the final 30 seconds of this film. So I don't think you're alone in that, and it's a bit of a head scratcher. I'm trying to f- figure out exactly what it means, and it doesn't necessarily come to a conventionally satisfactory conclusion. So I'm I'm mixed thoughts of the film, but I do recommend it. I think if you want to stay on top of what what um, is likely to be getting all the awards or award nominations anyway definitely run out and, and check it out in the theaters i myself i think right now i would give it a seven out of ten it, it's it's up there but not not in what i would call a great film and not what i would call his best film either how about you
1: i i agree with that assessment. I do, however, hope that it gets nominated for costume design. Oh yeah, definitely because yeah. it was so pristine.
0: These these period pieces always tend to get nominated for costume design, don't they?
1: Well, yes, especially if they you know they're of British.
0: Yeah, right. Uh,
1: not just topic, but you know creation.
0: Sure. Yeah. So that's the favorite, and it sounds like we both recommend it. Uh, though I'm a little lukewarm compared to uh, Shannon, Is that right?
1: I, I think I'm about the same as you. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I recommend it purely because of the three women's performances and mm. uh, a chance to see three different women in certain levels of power.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Our last film to talk about before our main event is...
1: Speaking of power.
0: Vice. Now, this is Adam McKay's latest film about... J- not John McCain. About Dick Cheney.
1: Totally different people there, my love.
0: (laughs) Now, of course, Dick Cheney became vice president to George Bush at the turn of the century. And by many accounts was the puppet master and uh, conductor, so to speak, of everything that followed post 9-11. This film takes a look at how he came to be the most powerful vice president in history. Of the United States, and and uh, basically, what was a result of of his uh, not rule, not reign? We just we're talking about Queen Anne, and we've uh, gone from British to American. Yeah, yeah, you know, so
1: similar. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, it has a huge cast. Chief among them is uh, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney and Amy Adams as his wife. Shanna, what are your thoughts on Vice?
1: The whole time we were watching this film, I just thought, wow. This is a very well-made film using the medium to communicate something that is incredibly confusing Mm. to a lot of people about a particular person during a particular period of history in America, Mm. recent history. They've taken the film medium and not only have they broken down what was actually happening mm. in a way that's digestible, but the, the way in which they showed it to us is very important to look at. It's almost like a piece of education happening. You've got why the country went to war being explained in the form of a control group. And it's so fascinating. Because it's an opportunity to depict how certain members of America felt about the topic. Hmm. And that was interesting. Then you get to a conversation happening between between the couple in their room and... They starts you know, they have like this little disclaimer of writing saying we we don't know what was said. Oh you're talking about like a
0: a title card. A title card, sorry, yeah. Yeah.
1: Saying we don't know what was said. For all we know they could have done a Shakespearean monologue. Yeah. And they go ahead and they do that. And (laughs) what was fascinating is I don't think I was really paying attention to what was being said, but rather what their body language was saying. And they made the couple out to be such passionate people
0: right and well it's kind of like this macbeth like dynamic and and actually i think in that particular scene that was narrated uh the whole idea of what you know that we don't know exactly what was said between this couple at that time i think that was through there is a narrator by the way who is played by uh what's his name from game night and friday night lights Jesse Plemons is who I'm thinking of. He kind of narrates the things and he eventually kind of... He eventually reveals how he's related to Dick Cheney, which well, is interesting.
1: Speaking about, you know, this passion that this couple, we see them portrayed
0: mm-hmm.
1: having, I really care for the, <laughs> these two characters. Mm. Even though they're doing some monstrous things. Mm. I, the, the film isn't, I don't think one-sided just showing monstrous things happening you actually see them as people and how they're trying to you know just exist at certain times Mm. and take care of each other at certain times and there are some hot things that he does like protecting his wife against certain things Mm. listening to his wife it's a very hot thing to do by the way you know, so it was just really interesting how this film took, what, two and a half hours? Gave us mm-hmm. so much, uh, like, clarity on something that happened in America some time ago, but also showed us what these people could be. So I know that you told me that some critics have said, oh, well, who's the director? I'm sorry.
0: Adam McKay. Yeah.
1: Said that, oh, well, he's going after Dick. And the thing is sure but he's also being compassionate with him too he's showing him with his family with his girls Mm -hmm. so i i really like this film i i thought that if you were to do a film study with it you could really break down different film techniques and how you know it can be used to move a story along and i really love the performances i really hope that christian bale gets close to an oscar if not an oscar Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: his performance
0: yeah, so quickly, the film is just over two hours, by the way, uh, and I want to quickly touch on not only my thoughts of the film, but some of the points that you made as well. I think the, the film is an angry film. It is taking the big short format and applying it to this subject matter, and I, th- I think uh, you know this new direction that Adam McKay has taken since The Big Short. You know, this is the guy who directed Step Brothers, The Other Guys, Anchorman Two, Talladega Nights. You know, he for oh, a while. Oh, I
1: really like the direction he's going.
0: In. Yeah, he's in. A, he was doing a particular type of comedy that defined the past, the last decade. The previous decade. And now he's gone in a much different direction that's still very witty, but is like just like a scalpel sharp on particular issues and topics that have affected most Americans lives for the past 10 to 15 years. And this film is no different. I don't think it's as successful as the big short, and I'll get to why in a moment. But you talk about how it is um, it is fair, a fair look at Chaney. I think that's largely because one of the things that impressed me about it is it does show him as a human, as a person, as a father uh, with daughters. One of the things that's made, that's reminded of us, that's very made very clear is you know one of his daughters is gay and he was adamant about protecting her and keeping her out of the the media frenzy the piranha-like uh, frenzy that the media can have over any anything that can seem like a discrepancy in someone's personal life and so um he made sure that he that spotlight would be removed from his daughter because he didn't want her to be attacked you know and i thought that is an important aspect of the of the person that is dick cheney i feel like and it makes helps make dick cheney less of this malevolent force of evil that in just uh, just infected the white house and wreaked havoc on insidious and, and corrupt havoc on our military and and numerous people's lives right i think this film actually does a is is successful in in showing us there's more to it than that but that said this is a guy who was after power and he did he he did some things that were unprecedented that took some interpretations of the law and his capacity and the president's capacity that are not widely considered interpretations, and it manipulated his ability or how much power he had in a moment of crisis. And he took advantage and was able to become even more powerful as a result, Uh, more powerful than he should. And I think People have criticized, well, what's the whole point of the movie? I think those people have completely missed the point. Really, we're taking Dick Cheney, the subject of this, this political figure, and, and he, you know, a guy that supposedly majority of the Americans voted in, who we allowed to go into the office... And as far as he's concerned, he's doing what the American people want, or what's in the best interest of the American people, right? Mm. Which is A, winning, and B, taking care of whoever they can that will satisfy the American people. The entire point of the film is we are in the same boat right now. And we could be really upset about it, but ultimately, the, the people responsible are the American voters. I think that is the thesis of the film. And we get, uh, we get that thesis spelled out to us near the end of the film. I think that makes Vice a very critical and important film of the year.
1: Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be there to make us think. Yes. Yeah.
0: I don't think it's 100% successful. I think there's some random shots of things that don't quite that it's it's one of the things the tools that McKay uses mm-hmm. in certain moments throughout the movies where he cuts to different random things. I don't think they always connect and land or and as or effect. I think it's a less is more approach would have been better there and there's there's um. So one other aspect of the film I thought uh, fell short that I was thinking of uh, well uh, a moment ago and I completely forgot, but I think it is very strong film. It just it just falls short of of the Big Short, but it does like the Big Short help us understand better. And I feel like if you take movies like Vice, Fahrenheit, nine eleven, and uh, W, and all these movies about that period, I think. You get this overall picture that helps us understand in general who was in charge, what actually happened. Who was really in charge. Yeah, you know, I, I think there is some consistency in the information that you can glean from watching a series of movies of that time. Valerie Plame is also mentioned in this film. There's a movie about Valerie Plame called Fair Game with Naomi Watts and Sean Penn check that out as part of this tapestry i think vice is really helpful towards that as well so i give that film also a 7 out of 10 and i strongly recommend it and i think it is a more fair and balanced film than people give it credit for
1: i would give this an 8 out of 10 mm. i feel like it does a lot it serves the purpose of filmmaking mm-hmm. and it just so happens that it's it takes a topic that's very difficult to understand and helps us understand it. And it seems like he's got a talent for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, cool. That is our weekend review. Let's move on to the fun stuff. Uh, if you didn't find this fun already, that's the main event, which is our year in review. 2018. Oh,
1: ah, yay! <laughs> it wasn't that bad guys. We got through it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, yes. In many ways. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, 2018 was kind of a crap year in general, in life. Let's say. But we could take solace in film. There's a lot of good stuff in film, right? Fair to say? Yeah?
1: Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this year of film. I thought there was... Uh, we definitely stepped it up. Uh, it's I'm hoping that the Oscars will prove us right, that Oscars <laughs> is not just white anymore. And I would be very be
0: shocked if that doesn't turn out to be the case. And we'll get into mm. some of the reasons why that is this year. But first... Let's start off by taking a look at some of the highest grossing movies of the year. Shanna, I'm going to tell you what was the 10 through 6 highest grossing films of the year. I'm going to see if you can guess what the top 5 were, okay? Just like we did last year. Uh All right, first off, number 10 at $213.2 million was Venom. From October, yes. Oh, good God. Runaway smash. That
1: makes me so mad.
0: Even though critically panned. But number nine at $213.7 million was Solo, A Star Wars Story.
1: So I'm starting to get mad. I I was really feeling very hopeful a couple seconds ago. About the direction film is going, and now now I'm starting to get mad again.
0: Well, hold your horses; it gets better. Number eight. Does it? (laughs) Number eight. Yes, it does. I don't
1: understand why those two are even on there. Carry on.
0: Number eight: Ant-Man and the Wasp at 216.6 million dollars. So three million dollars more. Yeah, three million dollars more than the other two films. Not a terrible movie, right? Ant-Man and the Wasp. Marvel film, we expected it to be fairly successful, yeah? You're just rolling your eyes. Okay.
1: I'm still mad. (laughs) And
0: then number seven, at $220 million, was Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. Better, yeah?
1: We're getting there now. All right. (laughs) We can start talking. All
0: right. Number six takes a bit of a leap. At $262.9 million, from November, was Dr. Seuss's The Grinch probably what? probably the second highest grossing family film of the year and we're that.
1: looking at gross in america
0: uh in total USA. total gross oh total yeah. okay
1: so we've got some international influence happening here.
0: uh yes i'm double okay. checking this actually no this is just domestic i oh, apologize good god okay this is just domestic uh, numbers it gets even bigger if you get the others but anyway so shanna from that what could you could you guess what the top five films of the year highest grossing films were
1: well i feel like avengers infinity war is probably in there black panther should be in there there's got to be some sort of animation in there too so maybe it's going to be incredibles 2 or wreck it ralph i don't think both will be in there
0: uh-huh okay i, will I think
1: crazy rich asians might have made it in there okay i'd be very happy if it did and uh-huh. possibly bohemian rhapsody
0: okay so i will say that
1: doesn't mean that's what i want in there yeah yeah, yeah. I'm just making estimations it's really
0: fascinating because you just named basically six movies or six types of movies and it's like three together and three together three of them are outside the top 10 three of them are inside the top five oh, frick. so ralph Fricks the internet which only came out in late november that is number 15 at $171.6 That's million.
1: pretty decent.
0: Crazy Rich Asians follows at $174 million.
1: Oh, what? It only made that much? It's pretty. Man, b- I thought it was going to make a ton.
0: Pre- That's not too bad for a film that was had a, a, a budget of, of less <laughs> uh, and is a romantic comedy starring all Asians. A $30 million budget. uh, $174 million million is is a very good profit. Yeah. And then followed uh, by Bohemian Rhapsody at $187 million. Okay. So the other three films or types of films are in the top five, but there's two films you haven't named.
1: Do I have to?
0: Okay. So I will help you out. (laughs) I will help you out. So number five at $318.4 million was Deadpool 2.
1: Oh, I forgot that that came out.
0: Yeah, 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 I thought you might, yeah. Which is the only R-rated film in the top ten.
1: Well, if anything, I'm happy for the R-rated. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, number four, at $416.7 million, was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
1: Wow. I'm not pleased about that.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, admittedly, it did not do as well as Jurassic World. Number three was the highest grossing animated film of the year at $608.5 million, Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. Number two, at $678.8 million, is, gonna be Black
1: Panther?
0: is Avengers Infinity War.
1: Oh, I'm happy now.
0: And the highest grossing film of the year at $700 million domestically is Black Panther.
1: Oh God, that's exciting. That makes me happy
0: so disney had a very good year because out of the top 10 highest grossing films it got one two three four five of those half of those films when you factor in pixar you factor in marvel you factor in lucasfilm it it did very well this year universal came in second with two films jurassic world and the grinch And then um, you have Sony doing very well with Venom and and Paramount doing well with Mission Impossible Fallout. So that's the top 10 highest grossing films of the year. Okay, No small films, no surprising breakouts. Really, those kinds of things happened just outside the top 10 with, as I mentioned, Crazy Rich Asians, Bohemian Rhapsody. A Quiet Place uh, was number 12. A Star is Born was number 11. So and and A *Star Is Born* made 200 million dollars. Usually, you have to exceed, you make or exceed 200 million dollars to make it in the top 10 for the year. So, that's financially what the film, what the year looked like. Okay. Now, we typically, when we do our end of the year roundup, we look at 10 different topics, right? And we name our 10 our choices for 10 different topics. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, and I'm going to ask you, Shanna, your picks for each of these different topics, and I will uh, return the favor. Are you ready? Shanna is going through her parchments.
1: (laughs) Guys, I'm so sick of certain items of stationery in my house that I am writing all my notes on my grocery list paper, (laughs) which is like what? Like a... Half size, third size of a normal sheet of paper. Yeah. Here we go.
0: Okay. So, let's start with Best F-Rated Movie. Now, an F-Rated Movie, for those who don't know, is a movie that is written and or directed by a woman. Shanna, what is your pick for Best F-Rated Movie?
1: Tully. Ah. Oh. Is it co-written by Diablo, Cody?
0: Correct. Yes. Directed by Jason Reitman.
1: Well, I might talk about that film a little later.
0: Okay. My pick for best F-rated movie is the film that we just recently talked about, The Favorite. That is co-written by Deborah Davis, someone who has no previous credits whatsoever prior to The Favorite. I don't know anything about her. I don't know where in the world she came from. But I think that that is a very well scripted film, as much as it is a well directed film. It's a film that features very well written women as well, even though it is technically about women um, fighting against each other, you know, which is a a trope you hate. That
1: does exist, though.
0: It is a trope that you hate, though, right? Typically.
1: I hate when it's shallow and stupid. I. Feel like in this film, it was very purposeful. Like okay. They weren't fighting for no goddamn reason, you know. I.e., because they're bored. Right. Yeah. They, they had reasons.
0: Right. True. It wasn't just to be bitchy. It, it, it was very much appropriate of its time. One woman trying to regain her stature, social stature, and class, and all that sort of stuff. So I thought the, the favorite definitely need to be recognized here, Shanna. What is your pick for best superhero movie? We had eight superhero films across a variety of different genres. And what is your pick?
1: My favorite superhero film this year most definitely is Black Panther. For the pure reason that you've got all this amazingness happening. You've got this concept that can be interpreted as, well, what if Africa was untouched? What if the African continent was untouched? What would happen? And something beautiful and magical would have happened. And we've got fantastic costuming and design, and we have fantastic characters and great role models and uh, lots of fun things to geek out about.
0: Yeah, I think... It isn't my favorite superhero movie of the year, but I do think it is the best superhero film of the year, Black Panther. I agree with you. We're on the same page there.
1: Oh, and great note. We have a fantastic villain.
0: I was about to say. Two. That's two.
1: Well, Andy Circus counts, right?
0: Oh, yeah, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I won't say anything more than that. Yes. But yes, he is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Killmonger by Michael B Jordan is even better. It is wonderful. It's one of the best villains of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. The thing about Black Panther is it works completely on its own, you know, and it doesn't get bolted, you know, just weighed down by origin stuff. We already had the origin of Black Panther in Captain America: Civil War. That's one of the cool things about that film is it somehow managed to weave that into its fabric. So now we're just jumping right in and learning more about this this nation uh, that's this hidden nation that is considered the real El Dorado, so to speak. And wow, you, you have...
1: sounded like a South African Andy Circus right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who actually says that? Yes. So, and, so, and you have wonderful, brilliant, awesome female characters in a, a superhero movie. You know who ultimately are kind of the ones who are in control right you know they're the ones kind of making sure things happen in the story mm-hmm. right so yeah. magnificent film brilliant fun very well written written very well directed black panther is my pick for best superhero movie shanna your pick for best animated movie
1: it would definitely have to be into the spider verse same yeah
0: why is that for you?
1: Well, it was just so different. Mm-hmm. And there were... At first, I really thought this film was going to make me throw up <laughs> because of the, the way it's animated, uh-huh. the animated style, and yeah. the rate per frame that they're working with. But I was okay. My brain adjusted. <laughs> I liked the exploration of different dimension Mm -hmm. specifically characters and I I thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed Miles as Spider-Man and I would like to see more of him yeah as Spider-Man I think that that could be really interesting and I really like the concept of another Spider-Man recognizing another Spider-Man and actually being there for him as best he could Mm -hmm. and that was really really nice And I love the, I love the, this film is about relationships. Even when it comes to the villain, his motivation is for relationships.
0: Yes. So I agree with all those things. You know, this is a year that had a lot of animated films and several of them were good, but not as wholly satisfying as Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Now, I admit, one of the things I forgot to mention when we reviewed the film was this film heavily relies on the pop culture knowledge and awareness of Spider-Man that has existed over the past 15 plus years, right? It's not a good introduction to Spider-Man for any kids or what have you because you're not going to understand what the fuck is going on. But, be that as it may, Yes, the animation is wildly inventive. And and it really, I feel like, does something different with the medium. And that's really something that you want to look for in terms of what is the best animated film. It has a a very well-told story. It has a menagerie of characters that are very well-handled. Some of it is just a matter of accepting they just are. This is who they are, you know. And uh, while also having some actual emotional connection to some of them and the fact that anybody would want to see more of any of these characters after the film I think is a an achievement uh, for something that, that is full of so many different characters that I don't know that there is necessarily particularly in the hero side a weak one of the bunch
1: mm-hmm.
0: so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse best animated movie Shanna? Alright now we get into some interesting categories what do you think is your biggest surprise of the year?
1: My surprise of the year is A Quiet Place.
0: Excellent pick.
1: I, I thought this was going to be fascinating, but I also thought it could go the other way. And it was so much more than I'd hoped for, mm. which is what makes it a surprise.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good contender for me. But I landed on for my biggest surprise of the year, Searching, starring John Cho, which is a film that, that you
1: watched without me
0: that you didn't uh, mm-hmm. you haven't seen yet. Yeah, I didn't expect a lot. I expected it to be good, but really, like this is this is a very good film that a lot of people missed, and you know, it's an innovative film. It's a great directorial debut. It's very creative in how it tells its story. I think uh, it has its twists and stuff, but I think it takes what would otherwise be a, a somewhat of a standard mystery thriller and does something very different with it. And it is a very, it is a, a riveting, intense film. So I had a lot of fun with searching. And it was my biggest surprise of the year. Shanna, what's the converse of that? What's the biggest disappointment of the year for oh, you? Oh,
1: goddy. My biggest disappointment really was The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh, really? Because I love Mila Kunis so much, and I mm. love...
0: Kate McKinnon.
1: Kate McKinnon so much. Mm-hmm, yep. And, and then you had the dude from Outlander in there, and so that was a, a sexy surprise. But... The film was just shite, so it was very upsetting and very disappointing. And I wanted to love it. I wanted it to be my next spy, and then I realized, well, nothing can compare to spy. So now (laughs) it just lives on my my sacred favorite shelf, you know. So
0: it was a disappointment. I absolutely agree. But my biggest disappointment of the year was a film that I was looking forward to. Oh God, I know what it is. I had a lot of high hopes for.
1: Everybody, get ready.
0: It was...
1: Drumroll, please. A
0: Wrinkle in Time. Was it what you expected?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. You hated this film so much because you were so hurt by it.
0: Yes. Yes. It actually was at the top of my worst of the year list. And I decided to put it here in this category instead. Ava DuVernay is such a talented director you have so many other talented people pushing this film. Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, and many others. And this thing was not an abomination. I won't go that far. But man, so bad. So, so bad. So poorly told. We don't get to understand the world. We don't get to understand the characters. or get to know the characters all that well. Before we're off and running, and the third act is just so laughably bad at times, I I just am so bummed by this movie. Uh, that huge Disney—they were really hoping for this movie, man. Did you remember the marketing campaign on this thing? Oh yeah, it was everywhere. So I was I was I would say of all the movies this year, it was my biggest disappointment.
1: Well, and I think it was our son's biggest disappointment too, wasn't it? Oh really? Yeah. Mm.
0: Poor child, <laughs> Shanna. What was?
1: But aren't you proud? Because it's like father, son, like sure. father, like son. Sure. What was? <laughs> Should the... be a proud dad
0: moment. Let's move on. What was the uh, movie you didn't get that everybody else loved, but I... you, or at least the, the majority consensus, was this was a good film.
1: I didn't get and... Ready Player One.
0: Ready, really? Ready Player One? Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was
1: like, I, I understand the concept Yeah, that you want to merge all these awesome, loved things together. Yeah. You totally hear it. Yeah. Did not see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is just outside my, probably my 10 worst of the year, actually. That was and fun. it was
1: somewhat sexist. I won't oh, get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't get into it. I'll try and, I'm going to just keep it here over Let's here. Let's just
0: say it's a fun, but greatly problematic movie
1: it doesn't keep up with the times you can't reference awesome things if you don't keep up with the times and the times is
0: down with sexism <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's what we're in right now
0: so the movie I didn't get alright this was an interesting one because you. it's not often that there's so many movies this year that I am out of step with that I don't get so here's the thing though The contenders were uh, included Roma and the writer now I get some of the appeal to Roma technically brilliant film great direction but I thought the the story was extremely lacking and one of the worst experiences I've had in film this year the writer kind of similar I get it it's the real people acting in a film and it's their real story blah 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 I get the appeal there Very uninteresting, though, in how it's told. But the movie I really didn't get that has a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes and was one of the most financially successful movies of the year was Solo, A Star Wars Story.
1: Ah, that's a good choice.
0: I didn't find this movie fun. I thought it was a terrible idea, a terrible concept. This is a movie, basically, that, that, that wants to explain Han's name to you. And it is like, so on the nose in how it explains Han's name. As though you needed his name to be explained. It's a perfect Star Wars universe name. Why do we have to have someone make it up for him? Especially the Empire. The Empire is the result, uh, is, is is responsible for Han's identity? Come on! Come on! They
1: have their finger in everything.
0: Come on! There's so many things. This thing, I have called this thing the Kobayashi Muru of Star Wars films. It is an impossible to win scenario. You're taking a character that we all love and you're saying you want to explain these things that we've heard referenced from uh, other movies about the character these things that have lived in our imaginations that we've lo- that helped define the character that's that's really like you're not going to be able to live up to our imaginations and the legends of han solo that's an unsatisfying task man on top of it all you're going to have another actor play Han Solo. It's not Harrison Ford. Fuck you. (laughs) That is unfair to that actor, man. That is an unwinnable scenario. I do not get it. People do actually enjoy this film. I think it is the worst of the modern Star Wars films. But apparently that's just me. I don't know. (laughs) All right, love. Let's move on to the movie they didn't get, where... Most of the world hated this movie or really didn't, weren't fans of it. But hey, you didn't mind it so much, or you loved it. What is that?
1: A Wrinkle in Time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. You I must couldn't. Be joking. I
1: couldn't think of another option, honestly. Really? I love like.
0: So why? Why? What? Come to defense of so Wrinkle in Time. So
1: here's the thing: Is it badly made? Yes. Do they? miss the point with certain things like not giving us the world that they live in etc sure this film has a lot of faults but it also has some good dialogue Okay, where Oprah is talking to the main character and is describing a concept that is so important for everyone to gain a grasp on as soon as possible and that is you have no idea how many Actions had to occur just so you could be born and that Anyone of any age thinking that they're that they shouldn't exist is the worst sin they could possibly commit to themselves so for that It's maybe a film that not everyone got because even though you critiqued the film as you did You didn't say anything at all positive about it and there were positive elements just I did in, not the, enough.
0: in our episode where it was our main review, I did speak to the positive things. So people can listen to that. I will admit it has a good heart. Yes. That's very well mean.
1: Um, it just appears that it was a bit of a runaway train.
0: Mm. What,
1: what's your one, love? Is it one that I like that? I'll be honest.
0: <laughs> I'll be honest. You know, last year, my pick was the hitman's bodyguard. I had to go pretty far down the list to, to find anything I could defend that wasn't defended well. This year, I did the same. I will say that of the films I saw this year that I didn't think were was all that bad, but it got a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, was Proud Mary. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, you really like that film. Well, I, I, l- let's not go crazy here. <laughs> I liked that film. <laughs> it's just fine. It's a great. It's a really good vehicle and has a lot of potential for Taraji P. Henson. I would love to see her more in this role. I just didn't think it was an awful hitman thriller. I thought it was interesting and fun. It had a couple flaws in it that on my, even I will concede to. But I didn't think it was a terrible or uninteresting or rote or just full of cliches that, that really it, it got claimed to do. So I thought I thought Taraji carried it, and it's just fine. I'm not going to die on this sword, man. I'm just saying Proud Mary is not that bad a movie. Alright, Shannon, we have a couple more categories. What is the most overlooked movie of the year? The movie that Everybody should see if you know that nobody saw. Last year it was Band-Aid. What is it this year?
1: Oh gosh, that was a gosh, that was a really good pick. I strongly believe that not enough people saw Tully this year. Mm. I know for a fact, just on my friend's stream alone, that there were many, many women who wanted to see the film. And then once I had seen the film I tagged a lot of those women and said, Hey, have you been able to go look and none of them were able to go and watch that film it didn't come to it didn't expand to our cinema when it was supposed to and so i don't think that that helped but also i think the reason why it was so underseen is because this film is about moms for moms or about caretakers for caretakers and i guess what not all of them can afford a babysitter so i feel like this film didn't get watched enough, I would love to have like a mass screening of it and like bring your kids if you need to. We'll set up jumping castles in the backyard because I really do, because I really feel strongly that everybody should be watching this film. People who want to one day have children, people who do have children, people who are pregnant right now, they need to go and watch this film.
0: That is an excellent pick. That film... It's gross. It doesn't even come into the top 100. It
1: was only $9 million, right? Yeah, $9 Which...
0: million. That's abysmal. I mean, that's probably yeah. Charlize Theron's salary. You know what I'm saying? Like...
1: Possibly. And the thing is, I'm probably going to talk about this film more a little bit later, but it's such an important film because it addresses... It addresses something that doesn't get talked about enough. Well, so, let's
0: talk more about that later then. We'll do then. that
1: later then.
0: Uh, my pick for the the most overlooked movie of the year. I was going to go with Searching because I feel like that is, is definitely an overlooked film. But I put that in a different category. And instead went with Annihilation by Alex Garland. Oh, that's a good choice. And I went with it because it had a budget of $40 million, and it grossed just shy of $33 million. Oh. So that's one reason. It bombed. But the other reason is it is one of the most brilliant, imaginative, visionary films of the year. It is, it is smart sci-fi. It is, it's one of those head-scratchers. You're like, what the fuck did I just watch? You, and it begs for repeat viewings, you know, and, some, and it's a movie you want to chew on and think about. It has a really solid cast with Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Oscar Isaac, Gina Rodriguez. And I don't know if the film just wasn't marketed well. I didn't see an issue with the trailers, but for whatever reason... People just did not come out to see this movie in, in late February, and they should really hunt it down. It's it's worthwhile. It's it is my pick for the most overlooked movie of the year, and one the, it is actually one of the best movies of the year. Okay, so before we wrap up with our last two categories, just want to let people know that there are uh, first of all a few a handful of films we haven't seen, so take certain things with a grain of salt because certain films haven't come by yet they haven't opened wide enough. Those films would be Destroyer with uh, by Karen Kusama with Nicole Kidman, On the Basis of Sex with Felicity Jones, and what's another one we haven't seen? Mary Queen of Scots is another one we haven't seen, but we have seen by my count over 50 films of the year. I think I have seen actually like 61. And Shannon, you've probably seen like 55 of those 61 films. Was there a couple movies that you saw that I didn't see?
1: I saw, out of the films that you did not see, I saw a couple of films that were released through subscription channels, so HBO and...
0: But like, uh, like I know you saw Fantastic Beasts.
1: When I saw Lizzie...
0: Lizzie, and right. And that's,
1: that's probably about it. And then it looks like I am going to watch Mary Poppins without you.
0: And then um, uh, Miseducation Cameron Post I know is on your list as well.
1: Oh, I didn't get to watch that yet. And
0: we have um, Christopher Robin also sitting on our TV. So there's a handful of them. Last year we had the same scenario. But really like, what ended up happening was of all those movies that we had to catch up on... None of them except maybe I, Tanya, would have really cracked into our top ten anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, I would say. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, so we might be in the same boat, so take our assessment um, as you will. But Shanna, let's wrap up first with your pick of the worst movie of the year.
1: Oh, yes. Let me talk to you about the worst movie of the year, and I'll save you all the time in the world life itself what a fucked up mess samuel l jackson even warns us about this movie before it goes too far which is like five minutes in guys and he lets us know that he doesn't want to see what's going to happen next because this is a fucked up movie you know what he was fucking right to every freaking millimeter of his assumption And you know what? We still sat through it. We didn't heed his warning. We sat through that entire film. And we paid dearly for it. We were emotionally destroyed. Oh, my gosh. What a freaking sad fist. No thank you. No one needs to watch that.
0: So what's really funny is for the longest time, up until today, I think, A Wrinkle in Time was my pick for the worst movie of the year. But I realized, while that is one of the biggest disappointments of the year, and as much as I do love Dan Fogelman of This Is Us, and I think he wrote another movie, oh, Crazy Stupid Love, which I really enjoy. Life itself is the worst film and most unbearable film, short of Roma, that I have seen this year. And so I think you've said enough. And if people really want to hear more, they can listen to our review of uh, Life Itself from about four episodes back.
1: Look, if you need a cleansing cry because your tear ducts are so blocked up, as blocked up as Cameron Diaz's in The Holiday, go ahead and watch this film. But you know where this man belongs? This man belongs on TV, so he can stretch out the pain he wants to inflict on people. (laughs) But...
0: <laughs> and the good and that's the thing. That's, the, that's what that movie lacked was the good in life. It was all the misery. That's and it's a waste of so many good talent. Life so much is not good that talent. Bad.
1: Life is not that bad. I don't care what you say.
0: All right, so life itself, we apparently agree is the worst movie of the year. What was your pick for the best movie of the year?
1: I would have to say it's blind spotting.
0: No shit. blind spotting.
1: I think it was a very important film. You know, here's another example. I just spoke about Vice earlier. And Mm -hmm. here's another example of taking the film medium and helping educate the public. I do not know enough and probably never will know enough about African-American deaths by police. Mm -hmm. I will never know enough about police brutality against African-Americans. And I will never understand the PTSD that comes with witnessing something like that. Never mind being fearful of it happening. Hmm. And I'm not saying that in an ignorant way. I'm being perfectly honest. I'm a white person. I'm married to a white person. Uh, We do not have a close relationship with an african-american it's not about our experience right yeah i am never going to know anything about that world firsthand okay and what this film does is it gives me an idea of what that might be like yeah and educates me on something i knew nothing about yep and that's important and i i think that everybody should watch that film everybody
0: very effective This is one of the first years I have struggled with trying to rank the best movies of the year. So many films have come out this year that are equally as good as each other. Very films I would say are great, capital G, that's come out this year. But a lot of really good films, guys. So I've I've struggled with trying to name the best film of the year. And you'll be able to see the result of my of that on the Gibson Review when I publish my list of the best and the worst of the year. But I think, if you're asking me right now, my pick for the best of the year might be Black Klansman.
1: Well, that's a really good choice by
0: Spike Lee, a film that's a little over two hours a film by a director that I had just about written off in terms of his narrative potency, you know, as someone who maybe has passed his prime. Black Klansman is, is at times, entertaining, but always, always, unflinchingly uh, stares right into our eyes who we are today, even though it's set in the 1970s with Colorado Springs' first black police detective investigating the KKK. Uh, this film is, you could say, an angry film. Justifiably, I think it it's not... I don't want to make it sound like a real like painful time at the movies. This is not homework, I don't think. But he does make sure that we don't get off the hook. And with just a good time at the movies. There's some very important issues, like what you're describing with blind spotting, that this film addresses. It just happens to do it with some humor and oh, a very well-written narrative. Just a little bit of sugar in that in that medicine, I think. Uh, just enough without being, say, Green Book. And, uh, yeah, I think it's one of the most important films of the year. And it, it's my... At this moment, my pick for the best film of the year. Black Klansman by Spike Lee. Okay, Shanna. We did it. We got through the year in review. What are your picks for several of these categories, and including your best of the year? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now, it's time to move into Film Fave. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Film Faves is inspired by a segment of the Gibson Review blog, where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic with the purpose of not only giving you an idea of what our tastes are, but also hopefully exposing you to films you haven't heard of or seen before. To that end, we try to point you in the direction of what streaming platforms they are currently available on. We primarily focus on the major platforms, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, and HBO Now. Mm, turns out most movies aren't all on the major streaming platforms but we do point it out when that is the case with that being the case shanna how did you go about making your list what's what are your thoughts on your favorites of the year and what is your number 12 in uh, getting us into the list
1: what I loved about this year was the amount of storytelling about certain topics that we might not be exposed to or might not hear about, whether it's, it's, it's the movie's sole purpose or if it just gets a little mention or feature as the, the main story unfolds. Hmm. So, you know, one thing that got depicted this year was how difficult it is to get pregnant in one of the netflix films this mm-hmm. is going to be my opportunity to express love to those films that don't qualify for our list
0: like private life
1: like private life very and, good film and not only how difficult it can be but what kind of a toll it takes on relationships mm. um you might not be exposed to that unless you're you know you're looking after kids whose families have had a hard time having them or if you have a friend that might be going through that We are shown how not only is the person who's creating the harm responsible for what, for a trauma they've um, induced in a small girl, but how society is responsible for it too because of the expectations they set up um, in the tale by HBO. We're shown a variety of female roles this year, ranging from kick-ass General Okoye from Black Panther to our only hope at surviving a post-alien invasion with Reagan from A Quiet Place. So I've I've really had a good time this year with most of these films that are in my list, but that doesn't mean I'm exempt from having fun with something like a sequel. And I feel like we've got a lot of variety, a lot of different people being depicted across different ethnicities and also through different sexual orientation uh maybe something that i personally wasn't exposed to this year was that was lacking was maybe something from the transgender community and maybe i just missed that
0: i definitely wasn't aware of any along those lines that came out this year Mm -hmm. but i think we'll have something next year
1: okay so with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and start with my number twelve, which is revenge.
0: It's my number twelve. Wait,
1: no, you lie.
0: The one foreign film we did see this year. Yeah. We made it on my list as well. Mhm. Go ahead.
1: Well, you're so good at talking about what a film is about. Do you want to talk about? Were you going to talk about that or?
0: Probably should, huh?
1: I was just gonna talk about my enjoyment ride with this film. <laughs>
0: Yeah, let me just get that. You know, you uh, pull is... you pull
1: up who stars in it. This is about a woman who goes with a man to a little getaway. She thinks she's going to get to have a good time.
0: It's like a guy's getaway, which is what's weird about it. Well,
1: that's what it becomes all of a sudden. She is—I don't think she's aware of that.
0: I don't know either, but yeah. it is like a hunting trip, basically.
1: Well, it turns into a ravaging trip on her and she has to take revenge and it's deeply satisfying it's wonderfully choreographed at the end and i really enjoyed this film it's kind of like it's kind of like uh if kill bill didn't hold back a little this is kind of maybe what would have happened
0: you thought kill bill held back jesus okay maybe
1: not on first viewing but, you know, over the years, I'm kind of like, do they hold back a little over
0: here? So, to clarify, Revenge stars Matilda Lutz, who is best known to American audiences, I think, for the sequel Rings. And I'm not seeing any other recognizable titles. But, yeah, so she... Uh, I think she was just extraordinary in this film. I, I think... This film is, it just knocked me off my seat, you know. It just is probably one of the goriest films I have seen this year. Uh, it is a triple F rated film, by the way, uh, by Coralie Fargett, who is not a director I am familiar with. I believe she is French, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she This is her feature debut, that's why I'm not familiar with her. So, uh, extraordinary debut, just thrilling film, and Matilda Lutz is a true find with this film as well. I look forward to seeing, hopefully, more great things uh, from her. Awesome. What's your number 11?
1: My number 11 is Sorry to Bother You. Very cool. Is that your number 11? No. Oh, darn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find Sorry to Bother You?
1: You can find it on Hulu, actually, and I highly recommend that you go check it out because it is fascinating. I'm going to just read the IMDb because I don't want to spoil anything. It's such a difficult film to not spoil. Very true. So, okay. in an alternate present-day present version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a universe of greed. And that is probably all you need to know about that film, other than the performances are amazing. It is a satire. You've, you've got some really great talents in here whose names are not being shown properly. Army
0: Hammer is one.
1: Mm-hmm. you got Terry Crews, Kate Ber- Berland uh, features for a little bit.
0: I'm trying to remember these people. Terry Crews is in it?
1: Yes, Terry Crews is in it.
0: Huh? Oh yeah, he's the uncle. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Tessa Thompson. Tessa
1: Thompson, and that—that's about my favorite. So we'll just. Danny Glover. Yes, Danny Glover is in there. Yep. Very exciting. You've even got Stephen Yoon.
0: Yeah, that's right. Stephen Yoon from okay. A *Walking Dead*. That's right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So Good.
1: very exciting talents in
0: here. Yeah. yeah, brilliant film, one of the most creative films of the year. That is an awesome choice. My number 11, however, is Game Night, starring Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, probably one of, probably the top of the list for me of movies that I really have a hankering for a rewatch on. Basically, they star as a couple who have friends get together for a game night, and apparently, oh, what's his name from Friday Night Lights? Kyle Chandler plays uh, the brother of, of uh, Jason Bateman and he's, he's a real piece of work. And he gets uh, rigged a real life game night scenario that just goes out of hand. You know, there were some, some comedies that were touted during the spring and summer. This was the only one that I thought was, it was as funny as it was well written. And then Rachel McAdams, who rarely these days gets to do comedy, really brings back her comedy chops to great effect. Jason Bateman is always really funny. But Jesse Plemons is hilarious in this film. Sometimes all he has to do is give a look, a deadpan look, and he doesn't have to say anything to incite uproarious laughter. Great, great fun. Probably the funniest film of the year. I really, really had a good time with game night. It's available on HBO now.
1: Oh, that's exciting. Do you want to go watch it after this?
0: Well, we, and we own it. So I am very interested in doing that. Yes.
1: My number 10 is won't you be my neighbor? The documentary, Uh, an exploration of life lessons and legacy of iconic children's television host, Fred Rogers of won't you be my neighbor? Uh, this is such an important film. In the, you know, people were really down during the time that this came out. When did it come out? Like Feb-
0: during the summer.
1: Oh, the summer. And I remember a lot of friends, you know, commenting about the political state of the country, and a lot of people getting told to essentially shut the hell up. And it was really lovely going to go watch this film with friends, and afterwards talk about how we can all be compassionate to each other. Because that's really ultimately what we need. We need compassion and then the execution of compassion that, you know, what comes with it. And I really loved how this movie made me feel. I'm not at all familiar with the the show, Won't You Be My Neighbor?
0: Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood.
1: uh, Sorry, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But I completely understand what he was going for and how important he was and how badly we need that now.
0: Yeah, that film came out in June, and it made more than Overlord, but less than Strangers, Prey at Night, and Searching. Well,
1: what a great place to be in between. How much should it make? I know, right?
0: Uh, $22.6 million. That's a
1: pretty good amount.
0: Which is pretty good for a documentary, in all honesty. We might hear a little bit more about that film, but first, my number 10 is another documentary I actually feel like is the best documentary of the year, but not my favorite documentary of the year. It is one that did just crush me like a pile of bricks. It is Minding the Gap, which is this documentary from this newcomer who essentially just filmed and took footage of some acquaintances and friends who skateboarded with him and decided to dig deeper into these people's lives and who they are. And what you get as a result of this is a film that touches on so many things in our lives and our issues with our society right now. It touches on racism. It touches on domestic abuse. It touches on uh, kind of chauvinism and how women are treated. It it touches on relationships between parents and kids and how those relationships affect us as we get older and, and have kids. This thing is an extraordinary piece and it's got really great editing. It's 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 not a film that's so much about skateboarding. I think there's maybe 10 20 minutes of actual skateboarding footage in the film. It is a true treasure and I I I hope everybody finds it. It is available on Hulu and definitely worth seeking out, hunting down on there. Uh, that is minding the gap, a great, great film.
1: My number nine is a quiet place, and we've spoken a little bit about this, you know, in one of the categories that we had previously. But what you do need to know is that it's in a post-apocalyptic. Say it again. A post-apocalyptic world where people are forced to live in silence while hiding from they say monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing it stars emily blunt john krasinski Mm -hmm, who wrote and directed Hmm. yes and we've got the person who plays reagan is
0: millicent simmons
1: that's right this is a great film. Not only are they forced to live in silence, they were kind of prepared for it anyway because their daughter Reagan is deaf. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like they had.
0: It weaponizes a disability, which is uh, really kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I loved Millicent's performance, especially. Mm. You yep. know, I expect a certain level of performance from Emily Blanton. John Krasinski, but, you know, Millicent is new, and I loved every second that she was on screen, and we got the DVD, and we got to experience extra features, and that was totally worth checking out, Mm -hmm. not only the making of the film, but how Millicent works.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, my number nine is the other great documentary of the year, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, which you just uh, mentioned as your number 10, it was the antidote, the, the thing that we needed in our, our time where there's so much hate on social media, so much dismissive dialogue on social media, and we have a, a leader who is so full of bile and, and self-interest uh this is a film that takes a look at at at, at the life of mr rogers and his example and says okay well who's next you know what now you know we need to we need to take care of this torch we need to be this for each other this year was full of celebrity documentaries you know you had quincy love gilda uh the one we saw Hal. uh there's I can't remember them. Oh, how it was so there is fun. so many. Joan Jett one. There is MIA, was and Whitney from this year. Whitney, mm-hmm. yeah. But this was the one and the only one to really take its subject and transcend its subject to something that is so needed for our society right now, and it is a beautiful piece. And if you didn't see it in the theater, you really need to see it now. Uh, unfortunately, it's not on one of the streaming platforms, so you have to rent it or you know, find it on Amazon to rent or something.
1: Well, it's worth purchasing, especially if you were exposed to Fred Rogers growing up.
0: I agree. Absolutely. What is your number eight?
1: My number eight is eighth grade. Huh? <laughs> it's so exciting that it lined up. Uh, we have, I think, we spoke about this in the previous episode. Possibly, it's an introverted teenage girl trying to survive her last week of eighth grade so that she can move to high school. Um, this stars Elsie Fisher as the eighth grade girl. You've got Josh, Josh Hamilton as her father, uh, yeah. as her father, and you've got other people too. But really, these two are the ones that matter. If, if you were ever confused or didn't know what a 14 about 14 year old girl goes through, go ahead and pick up this movie. And if you weren't sure what an 18 year old goes through, go watch last year's Ladybird Lady Ladybird And <laughs> Ladybird and you're gonna have an idea of what it's like to be a girl in the society that we have right now. And then go watch the tale and then you'll realize very quickly, why it's important to change the society that we're living in right now our society is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination especially for girls and it needs to change
0: uh that is a very good pick a very uh very good point about about what it's showing and and how it paired with lady bird um it does something really helpful i I think that's really cool uh, my number eight, however, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we named as our best animated movie of the year, and I just had a lot of fun with it. I will just add that. Uh, Nick Cage and Haley Steinfeld as a Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Gwen are definite highlights, and you're right, Miles Morales is awesome. And... And uh, there's some pretty cool villains as well. But, yeah, we've said our piece about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I will just move on from there. Best animated movie of the year. Eighth favorite film of the year.
1: My seventh is Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Ah, very cool.
1: Yes. We reviewed this film a couple episodes ago, but this is the film starring Rami Malek, Lucy Boynton, we've got Guillem Lee, mm-hmm. we've got Ben Hardy and a couple others. And this is about
0: Freddie Mercury, man.
1: It's really about Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. with Queen leading up to their performance at Live Aid in 1985. I laughed for the first half an hour of this film and I didn't stop laughing and and was worried that I was, you know, this film wasn't going to get serious, but it does and it goes through all these different things that Freddie Mercury uh, had to go through, and we're, you know, we end with the Live Aid concert. And it, this film just makes me feel alive and feel like it shows me how magical music is and how healing it is and how the performers, how people, the creators of music, how they come together and make such beautiful things. Um, a good pairing with this film, I think, would be Love and Mercy. I would do Love and Mercy first and then Bohemian Rhapsody. I feel Mm -hmm. like Bohemian Rhapsody is more upbeat while still addressing uh, important things such as the AIDS epidemic.
0: Very cool. Uh, My number seven is Crazy Rich Asians.
1: Oh, lovely.
0: Absolutely fun. One of the best romantic comedies I've seen in years. One of the most important romantic comedies, nay, films of the year in a year. Full of important films. I I, I did, I want to say, I forgot before I launched into my list. One of the things I noticed about my list in the year is this is a film where diversity finally 100% happened. This is a film where the minorities kind of ruled the films crazy rich Asians is one of those examples I have a few more I think coming up and certainly ones that I consider best of the year which you'll find in my article when it's published probably before this is released yeah this is just a crazy rich Asians is just a hilarious film a very well written rom-com and uh, is I, I just don't think there was anything else that matched it for what it was uh, this year uh, especially female-led comedies, actually. I don't think there was anything else that topped it, you know. And it is it is female-led with Constance Wu as the female lead, and like practically like ninety percent cast, I think, or seventy percent of the cast is like females, and really great characters too. Uh, so that's crazy rotations. Shannon, what's your sixth favorite film?
1: My sixth favorite film is Creed Two.
0: There you go. More to my yeah. point. <laughs> Diversity. Yes, absolutely.
1: So you've got Adonis Creed coming back and he's facing off against Victor Drago, which is the son of Ivan Drago, which is, you know, from film number th- four. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, you, for pointing that out. I love this film. We reviewed this film. It's starring Michael B. Jordan. You've got Tessa Thompson again and you've got Sylvester Stallone. I like how he doesn't like Take over, mm-hmm. you know. It's there's something really nice about that, mm-hmm. and you got a surprise. Appearance? You got a surprise appearance at the end of the film. Totally worth watching, even if you're just gonna go do it for that. But wow, this film was so cool with contrasts and comparisons and callbacks, and but like all the storytelling is told through all these different elements of lighting, costume design, and you know performances are there too. But I like how it took everything and made a whole film and I I saw a lot of that this year too where people are taking the elements of filmmaking and heavily relying on them to portray the story and not necessarily just the actual story like dialogue for instance they're going with you know color symbolism lighting framing etc
0: very cool very cool my sixth favorite film Uh, you mentioned it already And I can't believe it's this low, but this is how fun and good a year it's been. It's A Quiet Place, which uh, also surprised me. I remember we used to see the trailer ad nauseum during the first quarter of the year. (laughs) And it looked like it was was going to be interesting, but it definitely exceeded what I expected in that way. Emily Blunt, I love her. She's got to be among my ten favorite actresses right now, if not of all time. She's fantastic in it. John Frasinski really impresses. And I, I, I guess he's directed a film before, but this is the first one I've seen. And I think this is widely his most, uh, wildly his most successful. One. It's not a wonder why, man. He really nails this. He, he executes... The thrill so well. There's not a, a, a huge story going on here. If you actually trace the plot, he does. He manages to pull a lot out of what is actually there in, in the plotting. So very effective, thrilling, scary, awesome, wonderful film, A Quiet Place. Shanna, what's your number five?
1: My number five is Black Klansman.
0: Really? My pick for best movie of the year.
1: Yes. Uh, so those of you who don't know ron stalworth an african-american police officer from colorado springs successfully manages to infiltrate the local ku klux klan branch with the help of a jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader and this is all based on actual events Mm -hmm. it is as crazy as it sounds it is as weird as it sounds got Adam Driver Mm -hmm. and you've got Topher Topher Grace as well this film was fascinating to me this film really hits you hard it's a good this film also reminds you not to shy away from the terrible history that America does have and rather look at it because it's going to help you navigate around Uh, challenges for the future and spike lee does a a great job at giving us that reminder through this film
0: very cool my number five is our pick for best superhero film black panther which is available on netflix i will just say wakanda forever
1: oh that's very nice very well said my number four is infinity war available on netflix We all know that Infinity War brings all these Marvel movies together finally after, what, 10 years more? Yep. Okay? And my favorite line is, she's not alone.
0: I I know exactly what you're talking about. That's great. Exactly. My fourth favorite film, fourth favorite experience at the movies was A Star is Born
1: so nice it made
0: your list now especially considering this is a movie that went from complete disinterest to a must-see film to absolutely just being swept away and taken away by it it's not is it a perfect film no there's a couple things that i i criticized i think in the actual review of the film back in september feel free to check that out but Man, oh, man. Lady Gaga is extraordinary in this film. And Bradley Cooper, I think, is um, one of the decade's best actors to come out of this decade. And I guess technically he he appeared in Wedding Crashes in 2005. But at any rate, uh, he is really fine in his direction and acting in this film. But uh, Lady Gaga steals the show. The songs... Uh, the, the two songs in particular are great earworms I'm not surprised that this film really caught on to the mainstream again I don't want to get carried away and say it's the best movie ever like some people have on social media uh, Social media with it but I love A Star is Born and I am not ashamed to say so and I think I like it more than the Julie Garland version
1: oh that's good to hear yes My number three is Tully, starring Charlize Theron, a mom to her just birthed third child needing help. She needs help, not the child. (laughs) Of course. This made my list not only because of Charlize's performance, but because it's a story that needs to be told. Something that is slowly starting to be talked about is depicted right here in this film. Moms need help. Don't ask them. Don't assume they don't. Just help them. Do a meal train send gift cards, freaking do something. That being said, if a mom has a support network, that's one thing, but if you aren't able to be there for her, hire someone who can. It's the best gift you can give a new mother, whether it's her third child or first. Our society hugely underestimates how much a new mom needs, and this film does a good job of showing why she needs it. It's also a good want to go watch with your spouse or your partner before you give birth or want to even discuss having children because it gives you an idea of what is going to happen in a relationship once baby is there. Please, for the love of God, if you're going to watch one film I recommend, please go watch this one.
0: It's a fine film. It just fell out of my favorites due to my rewatch of it, but very good film and very good pick. I'm I'm glad you still absolutely love it. My third favorite film, one of the best experiences I had this year, one of those edge of my seat, thrilling experiences, was Mission Impossible: Fallout. I don't know how they do it, but every single film they manage to top themselves. Tom Cruise manages to top himself. It's it's funny because he acknowledges he's getting older, so he's not getting up as quickly after the you know from these hits in this film but the hits feel harder in this film the stunts are wilder in this film Uh, this is of course you know so much the case that it's notable for being the film where he actually injured himself you know uh, i think just running or something yeah something
1: Um, to do with his ankle yeah yeah exactly
0: Mm. Uh, but yeah great set pieces i don't know how They managed to make reverse engineering a story from from location scouting work. It shouldn't work. But somehow he and Christopher McQuarrie make it work way better than it should. And I actually think this might be the best Mission Impossible film yet. My third favorite film.
1: My number two is Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, very cool. Oh, yes. This was thoroughly enjoyable and upon second viewing was even more so with little things that I missed that was I was able to gather. I loved this film. I loved what it showed. I loved that it was an all-Asian cast. I loved that each character had something to contribute. I loved that I laughed so much. Way to go. I look forward to the sequels.
0: My second favorite film of the year was... Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: What is ranked so high? That's so cool.
0: Yeah, because it was such an extraordinary experience for me as a lifelong fan of Queen. I find the title to be a curious choice because like, what does that actually mean to the actual story? Like all you did was take a song title and apply it as the title of your movie? A little weird. But really, there's so much that I loved and I was just blown away by It's just a transformative experience for me, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was. So I absolutely loved this film. For more on that, check out the review about three or four episodes back. But uh, yeah, it's my second favorite film of the year.
1: My number one of the year is Black Panther. Oh, really? Oh, my favorite film of the year. I could watch this over and over again, and I would find new things to observe. I loved everything about this film. Everything was just so well put together. It was a beautiful piece of work. Like, I don't know what else to say. We did a full-on review episodes ago. But, fantastic film. Go watch it. It's on Netflix.
0: Which leaves my favorite film of the year, which is my favorite superhero film of the year, which is Avengers: Infinity War? Uh, they stuck the landing, something that's been never been done before. Ten years in the making, taking different superheroes from their own films, crossing them over. Yes, we have had Avengers. We've had Avengers. What was the la- The other one?
1: The Civil War.
0: Yeah, that's the one with the ro- Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Why this one is special is because it took all the characters that we have been introduced to over the past 10 years. It's not just Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and uh, uh, Incredible Hulk. It's everyone. The Guardians, Doctor Strange, etc., etc., etc. This thing has been in the works since 2012, first teased us with Thanos as the big bad behind everything. Uh, people die. Yes, Shanna. People die, and, and people back die. Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> I look forward to the next chapter. It is one of the greatest cliffhangers in film history, and it's it, of course it's a lot of fun. But it is really well executed and has one of the biggest surprise endings I think of the year can't wait for the second half to see how things pan out but uh, I absolutely love it it is my favorite film of the year and it is available on Netflix as is Black Panther by the way so that about does it for our 2018 year end episode what are your favorite films from the year feel free to email us at the at what is Gibson review at gmail.com Shannon where can people find you on the internet
1: ShannaPaxton.com. S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. See you there. Bye.
0: Okay, so go to the GibsonReview.com so you can find previous episodes, but also the best and worst of the year article that should be up by the time this posts. Uh, you should also be able to find past year articles of the similar theme of best and worst as well as past film fi- past film faves articles too, go to uh, facebook slash the gibson review to find links to these things as well as third-party links in movie news and such and then of course go to flick chart slash the gibson 99 to find my list of all the films i have seen ever next episode of the movie lovers The next episode will be our 2019 preview episode. We will forego, I believe, our film faves segment during that episode. So it'll all be pretty much uh, movies that we've caught up with as well as movies we're looking forward to in the new year. So uh, look forward to that in January 22nd. That'll be episode 47. In the meantime, keep loving the movies, and this is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.